Welcome to Glory Stories with Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn was one of the top eye surgeons in America and has traveled to many countries in the world preaching the Word of God. She also opened up an eye surgery center in Beijing, China, where she did free eye surgery on those in need. Dr. Vaughn will be sharing many of her personal experiences from God. In addition, you will hear of others that have known God in an intimate way and seen His miracle-working power. As you hear about how God has worked in the lives of others, our hope is that you will be changed forever. Get ready for God to heal you, deliver you, and transform your life as you sit back and enjoy these glory stories. Welcome to Glory Stories today. I'm going to share with you today an interesting adventure, my first trip into China. Uh, this was way back at the beginning of 1981, January of 1981. I was coming back from the Middle East, actually, and in the airplane, flying back from the Middle East, the Lord spoke to me and he said, go to China and do it now. Well, I'll tell you, I'd been gone for about two or three weeks in the Middle East, and when you get, when you get back, I have a solo practice of medicine. I'm an eye surgeon. When I get back from a trip like that, I have stacks of paperwork to do, Patients need attention, lots and lots, you know, an overload of work. And yet the Lord had said to me, go to China and do it now. So I always, I always obey God, whatever he says. So as soon as I got back, in addition to doing all of my medical work, I start trying to get visas to go into China. I tried and tried. I tried and tried and tried and I couldn't get any visas. I keep trying and trying. I couldn't get any visas. So finally, uh, I, I say, you know, we're just going to go to Hong Kong, and God will give us a visa there. So I booked flights to Hong Kong. We go to Hong Kong. And in a few days, we did get a visa. They put us in an English-speaking group of eight people and took us into Guangzhou, China, which is the southern part of China. And, and here you remember, this is the middle now of winter. This is January of 1981. It's a time when China has just come out of the Cultural Revolution. They're not used to having visitors, you know, they don't, tourism is zip back then. And so the facilities were really not available for tourists like we were. But they took us in and even in, in January in Guangzhou, it's a southern part of China and it's kind of like Miami would be in the winter in America. So the, the temperature was pretty nice, you know. I had on a light jacket, or some people had on light sweaters. We got to walk about in an open market and, and walk among the people, and the people were so sweet and so kind. Uh, I mean, I fell in love with the Chinese people right away. They all had on Mao outfits. All of the adults were wearing them, uh, mainly navy blue trousers and Mao jackets and, and little, little shoes, and everybody was dressed the same. The only colors that you saw in anybody were on the babies, and the babies had on, you know, baby colors, which was refreshing. But everybody else just had on Mao jackets, Mao slacks, and everybody was walking. Some people had bicycles, but most people were just walking. There was rarely a motor vehicle seen at all, period. People didn't have them. The government had a few, but the people didn't have any. So everybody was either walking or bicycles. And, and in the marketplace, I, I found things very interesting because, you know, we, we don't really eat cats or dogs. Where I come from, we don't. But they were for sale in the market, for sale for eating purposes. And then, you know, I was walking along and I saw some strange looking, I didn't know what they were. 
bundles. They were bundles. Some of them were maybe three inches high, some of them were four inches, some of them were six inches. And, and I was standing across the walkway looking at these bundles of things, and I couldn't figure out what they were. So I step a little closer to them, and I see that what they are, you wouldn't guess it. They're centipedes tied together, different lengths of centipedes tied together. So the food things available for food over there were very different and unusual and strange. Uh, wherever we went, if you wanted water, whether it was any, you know, water to bathe in or water to cook with, you started with brown water. The, the water was just brown wherever you went. And the hotel rooms, they didn't have any locks on the door. Well, they didn't really need them because the people there were so honest. I mean, you could have your, if you had a Rolex watch or a stack of $100 bills or something on your nightstand, they could dust around it, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't take it so that there were no locks on the hotel doors. Well, that was a certainly a new experience for sure. But, you know, I noticed that people were so easily pleased, I guess you'd say. They were happy with simple things. Like, you know, one man would have a little bird cage with a little bird in it, and he'd, he'd take it for where he was going on a walk, and he'd just keep it there. And, and, and he was so, it, it made him so happy just to have a little bird with him or a cup of, of hot tea. Just a simple thing like that. Simple things were pleasing to them. They didn't have any shopping malls that had 300 different kinds of athletic shoes to choose from. They didn't, they, their life was not cluttered with the things that sometimes our life is cluttered with. They were simple people, sweet, honest people, easy to fall in love with people, which we fell in love with them right away. So Guangzhou was a very pleasant experience. And then they put us on an airplane. Now, remember, they're taking us on a tour of China. So we're going wherever they take us with the communist guide that they gave us. We're seeing what they want us to see. But we're grateful to be in China. God told me to go, so we're, we're, we're going. Okay, so then they fly us from Guangzhou, which is like southern China. They fly us to Beijing, which is far northern China, like Minnesota would be in America, in January. You know what that would be like? Freezing, freezing cold. And they took us straight from the airplane on a walking tour of the Forbidden City. The wind was blowing. It was freezing cold. We had on light jackets that we'd been wearing in Guangzhou. And they took our luggage to the hotel, which had our, had our heavy coats in it. So here we are in light jackets. I don't know what the temperature was, but it was for sure below freezing. And took us on an outdoor walking tour of the Forbidden City. Oh, there were beautiful things in there, you know, embroidered silk gowns that uh, the empress would wear or the members of their imperial court would wear. Uh, beautiful artifacts that they had carved and painted. They're great artisans there. They're really good in minute detail with their hands, and they're so gifted. And, and so it was beautiful, but there was no heat. Anywhere you went, there was no heat. There was no heat in the hotels. There's no heat in the restaurants. There's no heat anywhere you go, so you're freezing, freezing cold. And the other thing that happened is that, you know, when it was mealtime, you were given, each, each one of the persons was, and there were eight of us, were given chopsticks, personal chopsticks to eat with. Well, you know, you, if you're American, you probably never tried a chopstick before, especially back in 1981, but you quickly learned how to use it. You had to if you wanted to eat anything. 
So there was around what we would call Lazy Susan, but they put the various dishes on this round thing in the middle. None of those round dishes, uh, none of those dishes had serving utensils in them. So you would use your chopsticks and put things on your plate and eat with your chopsticks and everybody else would do the same. We'd come back around, you'd put your chopsticks in, they'd put their chop in the same bowl. So everybody, if anybody was sick with whatever kind of infirmity, it was being passed around to everybody in the group. So everybody in the whole group ended up sick, either with gastrointestinal problems or with respiratory problems because it was freezing, there was no heat. There wasn't really very much to eat. And they kept telling us, now, uh, later on in the trip, when you get to uh, Wuhan, the special place Wuhan, you're going to have special things for you there, special treat to eat and so beautiful. And so all the whole trip we were thinking, oh, it's going to be so wonderful when we get to Wuhan. But meanwhile, we're not in Wuhan. We're up there in Beijing. It's freezing cold. I had on a full-length wool coat, which I brought from my home. But the wind was going through that just like I was wearing chiffon. It was like, it, it wasn't warm at all. I was freezing. So one day, we, we took a little, a little trip away from the group. They let us go. And so we went to a store, a store there in Beijing, a department store. And so I went to look to see if I could find a warmer something to wear. So uh, I saw this area that had silk jackets. And so I start trying on silk jackets. Well, to, to begin with, you know, I'm blonde, blue-eyed, and they never even saw anybody that looked like me before. So I, I, already, I already had a crowd of people everywhere I was going. They were just looking and pointing and just wanted to see what, what I looked like because they never saw a person like this skin and this hair and these eyes. They never saw this before. And so they were, they were, I was already like a rare, I don't know, a white rhino or something in the zoo. I had a big parade of people watching me. So here I was in the shop trying on jackets silk jackets. Well, I liked the red jacket, so I chose the red jacket and I wore that. But I'm telling you what, it was just a short jacket, but it was so warm. It had layers of silk on the inside of the jacket and, and the wind wouldn't get through that. And so it was really warm and really nice. Uh, I actually, even when I got home, I wore that silk jacket over and over and over until I had it so frayed and worn out, I finally had to give it away, but I love that red silk jacket. Uh, later on, I found out why they were around me in the department store looking at me like some freaky person because I found out that what they do, they happen to wear red when you're going to be married or it's a married color. You know, you, that's when you wear red. And I, had, I just bought it because I liked the red jacket. And then when we went from Beijing, we went up to the Great Wall of China. Oh, my, what a phenomenal place that is. You know, it was built 2,000 years ago, and the thing is 4,000 miles long, 4,000 miles long. At that time, they said that that's the only thing that they, the man-made, the only man-made thing that they could see from outer space. And it took them 200 years to build it, with many, many lives spent during those 200 years. But uh, since there wasn't tourism back then, it was really kind of like in a semi-torn down state, at least where we were. Parts of the wall were totally torn down, but where we were, you know, you could go up the steps, and the steps were not like ordinary steps. They were more like 
I'd say 45 degrees or maybe more steep than that, climbing up those steps. And uh, I climbed as far as I could go out on the far end of the wall. Now, I don't mean 2,000 miles, but you know, as far as I could go in that part. And I stood up there, you know, and I, I prayed over the nation of China. The Great Wall of China is in the far north part of China, and so I could stand there on the Great Wall of China. I could prophesy over the nation that, that, that God would bless the nation. He would bless the nation and visit the nation and bring people into his kingdom of God. And I, 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 it, was, it was a time that I will never forget. Great Wall of China. I've been able to visit it many times since then, but that was my first visit, and it was something that's, that's always been in my mind. What a fabulous trip. So, you know, part of the time we got to see, uh, like, they would be carving on jade or carving on ivory, and, and people would be just doing these things with their hands and with a little bit of machinery and, and creating such beautiful, wonderful things. They, they, they like to do things in meticulous detail. Uh, one such interesting thing, you could buy little bottles or bigger bottles, any size bottles, but they would, they would put a paintbrush with a, nine, a 90 degree angle on the end of it, and they would put it on the inside of the bottle and they would paint the bottle from the inside of the bottle. And so, you, you know, it would, I mean, have you ever seen a bottle painted from the inside? And they, they routinely did that. And, it, and it's, it's beautiful artwork, beautiful. So then, finally, when the day came that we did go to Wuhan, it's, it's a little farther south than Beijing, but it's still freezing cold. It's still in the middle of January. And the lake, they had told us, oh, this will be a beautiful lake here. You enjoy this so much. So the lake was frozen, and we were frozen. Everything was frozen. And when it, in this great feast that we were looking forward to having, they'd been telling us the whole time, this great feast. So when it finally came, you know what it was? It was a great big fish that, t it looked like a carp to me. I, I, you know, it had big, big scales on it. It had eyes and head and scales and fins and the whole, the whole big carp, just the whole carp with black sauce poured over the top of this fish. And that was our huge special treat in Wuhan. So how do you eat a carp with black sauce on it? With chopsticks. So you take your chopsticks and you grab a piece of scales, skin, bones, meat, black sauce, and you know, you put it on your plate. And so that was our great surprise in Wuhan, which uh, I, I think all of us were surprised, but maybe not the same way that they thought we would be surprised. But you know what? They were giving us the best that they had. They were doing the best that they could for us, and we knew it, and we appreciated it. And, and their kindness, their love, their gentleness, their simplicity, all of those things far overruled the fact that you had brown bath water and you had to decide, am I going to get cleaner getting into it or dirtier getting into it? And, and, but you, you were grateful that they were just doing their very best for you. Well, when it came time to fly out of Wuhan, as I mentioned, it, it was extremely cold there. And they took us to the airport. It was a small airport. 
and it was blizzard, literally, literally blizzard conditions, blizzard. And so they didn't want to take the, they didn't want to fly the plane because there were blizzard conditions. Now, some of the people in our eight person group went to the bar about that time in the airport. And so they, you know, they were getting pretty happy in the bar drinking. And meanwhile, I was looking out the window and the lady traveling with me, her name was Jerry, and we were looking out the window, we were watching the airplane. That was the airplane we were supposed to take off on, but it was a blizzard outside. And so the air, airline didn't want to take it off. They felt like it wouldn't be safe to fly in, that air, in, in those weather conditions. But the people in the bar kept getting happier and happier. Finally, they came out of there and they said, you know, we, we want to go now. We want to go now. And they started being very demanding about, we want to go now. So, you know, the airline was bending to their wishes. And I, we were looking out the window and what we saw was a man right out there on his bicycle, a man right on his bicycle, with, it was not a broom like you think of a broom, but it was a broom made out of sticks. Not straw, but sticks. And he climbed up on the wing of the airplane and he took this broom and he stuck it in a, in a bucket of some sort of solution and with this, these sticks, he was painting the wing of the airline with this. And then he'd get up on the other wing and he'd do the same thing over there. That's the way they prepared this airline for takeoff. You can imagine how safe that was. But everybody from the bar was demanding to leave. So finally they load us into the, into the airplane. Uh, Jerry, the lady traveling with me, was sitting by the window and I was sitting by the aisle. And, you know, she loved to be looking out the window. Well, you looking out the window as that thing was taken off, it was like looking into a bed sheet that was white. It's just you could see absolutely positively nothing out of that window because it was just white. It was just white. So I was trying to comfort her a little bit. I said, oh, Jerry, you know, don't, don't worry. God has angels that'll take care of us. Something I was talking to her a little bit. She says, don't talk to me. So I stopped talking to her. She was petrified, petrified, petrified. Well, we finally did land back in Hong Kong safely. We did go home. And I'll say that that trip made us absolutely fall in love with the Chinese people. So we, we went back many, many times after that. Uh, the next time we went back was in the fall of that same year with a woman, a famous evangelist that I'll have to tell you about her in another glory story. Her name was Nora Lamb. We went with her. We went with Jim Irwin, who was an astronaut who went to the moon. And because Jim Irwin was there with us, they gave us such preferential treatment. We got to stay in the state house in Beijing, which was the place where they put dignitaries and, uh, you know, very special people that we would never have an opportunity to be there. But because we were with an astronaut, they, they put us in that place where presidents of nations were right down the hall. And here we are with them. And uh, when, we, when we, we went to the Great Wall of China again, and this was phenomenon to see. Jim Irwin, the astronaut, he ran. I watched him. He ran up those steps, which most people could hardly even walk up. You know, I told you those steps were at least a 45-degree angle. And he didn't walk up them. He ran up those steps. That's the kind of shape that he was in. But uh, uh, Nora was Chinese, and she had, she had lived through the Cultural Revolution, and it had affected her life greatly. So at that point in time, it was, the revolution was over and she was back in her homeland and she cared for the people and loved the people and wanted to help them in every way. You know, I'll, 
we, we ended up going back to China so many times. Actually, I spent a whole lot of, a whole lot of my life there for 10 or 15 years. I'd end up going back two or three times a year to China and built an eye surgery center in Beijing and did a lot of free surgery on poor people there. But on one occasion, I'm going to tell you what happened. I was, I was invited by the Chinese Academy of Medical Sciences to come and lecture in Beijing. And I didn't know if they were going to want me to do surgery or not. But I thought, you know, they might want me to do surgery, and if they want me to, I better take some instruments along. I, well, I got to thinking about their instruments. I didn't know what kind of instruments they'd have, and I thought I better take my own instruments because I, every, all the surgery we do is through an operating microscope. So you, you need microsurgical instruments to do microscopic surgery. So I thought I better take my instruments. Well, there were two ladies going with me on that particular trip. One was Jerry who didn't like anything medical at all. I mean, she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she just didn't want to hear about it, look at it. She didn't want to know anything about medicine. And the other lady was, was a woman from Virginia that would have been a wonderful candidate to learn about my instruments. Because I didn't, I didn't want to hand my instruments to somebody that didn't know how to take care of them. They're very, very expensive. One instrument might cost $2,000 or more sometimes. And so you can't just take these precision instruments and hand them to somebody that doesn't know how to take care of them. They might just bump it a little hard against something and completely ruin the instrument. So I thought, I, I need to teach one of these women how to take care of the instruments, how to clean them, you know, cl gently, gently clean them between cases. Well, Susan, the wonderful lady that would have done it, but she, but she was off in Virginia, so I couldn't teach her because she wasn't where I was. But Jerry, the other lady, she was in Dallas where I was, so I thought she's the only possibility. But I knew she hated medical things. So anyway, I went to, I went to her and I said, would you mind learning just a little bit about my surgical instruments? You don't have to see surgery, just learn how to clean the instruments that's all I'm asking. You don't have to go into the surgery room at all. She said, right away, she said, yes. I, I was shocked that because she didn't like medical things. And then she told me about a dream that she'd had about nine months before that. And in the dream, she was pushing an archaic cart in a room that she had a vivid memory of this room. It was a hexagonal-shaped room with dark paneling on it with hallways going out of the side of the room. And, and on, in that room, she was pushing this archaic cart, and it had my surgical instruments on the cart. Well, because, because of that dream, she was willing to come and learn about my surgical instruments. So that's fine. So th this, this is a funny thing she did. She came to my office, and I had surgery suites in my office. So I told my staff, I said, you know, put a gown on her, gloves, hat, mask, the whole thing, you know, like you'd use in surgery, put them on Jerry, and we'll teach her to, to clean the instruments. Well, meanwhile, I had a, a, a room, a waiting room, uh, where there was a closed-circuit television set. And all these people that are waiting to have their surgery done are watching me do surgery on someone on the closed-circuit television. So Jerry comes out in all this gown and glove and stuff, and she sees me operating on that on closed-circuit television. Now, keep in mind, it's all done under an operating microscope, so you can't see me. You can just see my 
instruments, actually. You can see a little bit of my hands sometime, but mainly you can just see my, the instruments. She looks at that screen and she turns to all this row of people over here waiting to have their surgery done next. And she says to them, are you going to let her slice on your eye like that? Now, she used the word slice, and this is microsurgery we're doing. This is precise, I mean, down to a microns. I'm talking about microns. And that's what she says about it. So I said, Jerry, you need to just go. You need to just go home. You know, you don't need to be here anymore. So she left. She never really learned about my instruments. But so we went to China. The head of the ophthalmology department met me. And he and I were walking into this great, it, actually it's a, built, a beautiful building built by Rockefeller in 1921. It's called Peking Union Medical College Hospital, big long name. We were walking up into the foyer of that building and Jerry and Susan were walking a little ways behind us. When we walked into that foyer, I heard someone say, this is it, this is it. I turned around and tears were streaming down Jerry's face. She says, this is exactly the room that she had seen in her dream. A hexagonal shaped room, dark paneling, hallways going off in various directions. It's exactly the room that God had shown her nine months before in a dream. So we knew we were exactly in the right place that God was sending us. That solidified that. And on some occasions after that, we had opportunities to share that dream and that occurrence with, with Chinese people. Usually they were high-ranking people and usually in small groups where we felt, in small groups we felt comfortable enough to share that with them. And when we told them about the dream and about walking into the paneled room, you know, very often those people who were communist people supposed to be communist people, they would say this, they would say, the God has sent you to us. The God has sent you to us. Well, we don't usually, we usually say God, we don't say the God, but they said the God, and I think they, in saying that, they were more correct than we are, because there's really only the God that created heaven and earth. Everything else that people make gods out of are not really gods. But they recognized that the hand of God had sent us there, and he surely did. Well, I ended up returning on many times, which I don't have time to tell you all about that today. I'll have to tell you that on, a, on different occasions. But what I saw was phenomenal, that when people from the nation of China heard that I was going to be there, and I didn't, I didn't, make any announcements about it. I don't know how in the world they found out, but when they found out that I was going to be there, people would come from, well, I remember one man, he, he traveled three days and three nights just to get to the hospital in hopes that perhaps I could do his surgery. And, and on top of that, I saw surgeries that were so horrible that the patients had had traumatic injuries and they had had sometimes two or three other surgeries before I ever saw them. And they, were, they felt like they were hopeless. And so they were they're coming to see if I could do something for them. And so I would always pray and I would always do the best I could. But I saw things in eyes, Chinese people's eyes that I had never seen in America because in America, you, they, you know, we, we have better care. And, and, and earlier at the, time, at the time of the injury, someone would repair it and they'd do a good job. And you wouldn't see these long-term complications. So anyway, God made a way for me to go there and help many, many Chinese people teach Chinese doctors new techniques.
and how to do the how to do the things well and to have better instrumentation. I took over modern equipment myself and gave it to them and instructed them. And so God used that as a time to elevate the whole quality of eye care in Beijing and out of Beijing would teach the uh, more remote areas. Uh, so I thank God for enabling me to help those Chinese people. And I appreciate you being with me today and letting me share my first experience going to China with you. And I, I just want to say that in my heart, I love the Chinese people. And I hope that through this little thing, this little picture of it, that you'll love them more now than you did before. I look forward to being with you next time. We'll talk about some of their glory stories. We hope that you enjoyed these stories of the glory of God. We believe that each story we tell will help build your faith and help to bring a miracle into your life. For more information about this program and Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn, visit her website at godsinstrument.com, her YouTube channel at Glory Stories Now, or write her at Elizabeth Vaughn Ministries Incorporated, P.O. Box 454, Argyle, Texas, 76226, USA.